Well, we're in this year of yes, and the idea of God says yes. Every promise that God makes is yes and amen. And the, the thinking is he speaks to us and he says, hey, how about you? Is it yes? And our amen is our yes, our response to God. And we've talked about that from several different, different angles. And we're going to start moving toward a subplot in that uh, annual theme where we talk about discovering our yes. What in this season of life is God asking of you? What is your Yes, right now in this time in your life. But before we launch into that, I wanted to bring this message about yes. My, uh, and, and the message is called The Right Tools for Yes. My dad is uh, no model for Gentleman's Quarterly, as you can see. My dad never got taught the lesson of what you wear and don't wear. I mean, he was one of those guys that wore suspenders and a belt, never supposed to do that. When he wore a tie, it did not cover the belt buckle. It's always supposed to do that. My dad, his favorite color of sock was white. No matter what else he was wearing, white socks. You're not supposed to do that. Um, well, on and on and on. But. Man, did God know how to dress him in excellence as a father. He was the best dad ever. And uh, my dad used to love to tinker around with things. So this is Art Sr. And he used to love to tinker around with things. If I tell people, if my dad had been a gazillionaire, which he wasn't. He was a barber and a truck driver. But if he'd have been a gazillionaire, he would have still purchased pickup trucks that needed work on them because he loved working on stuff. His idea of a vacation was to go and tinker with things, work on things. We'd go for a weekend, we had a boat. We couldn't have a nice new boat. We had to go to the lake, and what did we do at the lake? We worked on the boat. So, Dad, we do this all week long, working on stuff, working on trucks, driving trucks, whatever. Why are we working on the boat? And, oh, this is fun. Isn't this fun, kid? We built this ourselves. And we'd be standing waist deep in water while everybody else was water skiing, trying to figure out the timing and the points on our boat. That's my dad. So the good part of that was that when we got older and we had our own family, he'd come to visit. He liked to work on our stuff. So one summer, my dad was visiting us in Colorado, and our kids had just, David and Josh had just gotten old enough to where they were driving and uh, had cars, and David's car was broken down. If I remember correctly, it had a broken axle or something related to that, and my dad said, hey, come on, let's go out and fix the kid's car, which, you know, I said, great, let's go ahead and fix the kid's car. So my dad was out there in the garage working on David's car. Now, my dad in his shop, he had dump trucks and cars. He had every kind of tool he needed, ever. He had every press, every torch, every wrench, everything that he needed to do anything. Change transmissions, build transmissions. He could do anything. But at my house, it was a little bit different story. So we're out there at my house in Colorado working on this broken axle. And finally, my dad, after hours of frustration, threw down the sledgehammer that he'd been beating on the wheel with and yelled something like this. He said something like, you know, this would be a whole lot easier if I had my own tools here. He was so frustrated. If I had tools I could do something with. So that was the gentle rebuke to his son for not having the right kind of tools in the garage. Tools I could use. 
the right tools for the job. And after hours of hard work in the hot sun with the best of intentions, but the wrong tools in his hands, dad finally just put the whole thing back together and quit. Now, I want to ask you to think of that story, but not to think about cars fixing the broken parts of machinery, but to think about life. And the opportunity in life to say yes to God. We're going to be asking the question, what's your yes? Opportunities in life, because life presents us with those opportunities to say yes. Specifically, when you decide to say yes to God, for which tools do you reach? Because using the wrong tools, this is important, using the wrong tools to do the right thing can blow the whole deal. You realize that? For which tools do you use when you say yes for God? Going to say yes to God? Excellent. But for which tools do you reach? Because using the wrong tools to do the right thing really makes the whole thing wrong. It can blow the whole deal. The best intentions can be rendered useless, can be trumped. They can even be harmful when pursued with the wrong means. And you know things break in life. Things need to be addressed in life, and God asks us to address them. Whether there are things in our personal life or in our own household or even things in our world that he asks the church to address. Things break in life, and God asks us to confront them, deal with them, address them, but not with the wrong instruments. He asks us to address brokenness, but not by using broken things to address it. Things like trickery or, or blame or shadiness or false guilt or all the different little instruments that we use to get by in life or to get ahead in life. I can just hear God saying to the heavenly host, whenever we do that, something like what my dad said. This would be a whole lot easier if I had my own tools here that people were using. Tools I could do something with. Tools I could endorse. Tools I could use. Doing the right thing the wrong way. Doing the right thing with the wrong tools. The wrong applications. Blows the whole thing apart. So as we're asking the question, what is our yes? And even as we're stepping toward a yes, let's also ask the question, yeah, how are we going to do this? With what tools will we approach this thing that's broken, whatever it is? What are the right tools? And what guidance does Scripture give us? Now, this is not an exhaustive list. All I want to do is just remind us of a couple of the instruments that God lays down for us, instruments he takes from his own shelf and makes available to us, because we need reminders every once in a while. One of the tools that is an instrument that fits God's hand, and you'll, you'll know this, nothing revolutionary, is truth. Not trickery, but truth. Psalm 119, we're going to look at that for a second. Truth. First of all, knowing truth. Psalm 119, especially uh, up to verse 12, listen to this. 
Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord or the truth of the Lord or the teachings of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep those teachings, who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. I love the fact and hope it's not lost on us that two thoughts are combined. Seeking God and keeping his teachings. Who seek him with all their heart. They, they do no wrong, but instead they follow his ways. They use his tools. You've laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed, God. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. So he's talking about tools, instruments for use in approaching life and saying yes to God and listing a bunch of synonyms. They're all equal, this idea of what God has offered us in terms of truth. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commandments. I will Praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will obey your decrees. I'm just being redu getting redundant. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. I do not let, uh, do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's this toolbox that I've memorize that's in my heart that I might not sin against you praise be to you Lord teach me those decrees one of the instruments the Lord has given to us to use in route to saying yes to him is truth what the Bible teaches how the Bible instructs us to approach situations and sometimes we do everything but what the statues of God instruct us to do. And we use every tool but the right tool. When we do that, we in effect take the bat out of God's hands. For he will, he's not going to bless what he doesn't endorse. It's always good to remember that, knowing the truth. And then, but it's not good enough just to know truth, get to live truth, practice truth. Ephesians 4, talking about a, talking about, uh, the context really is a truthful presentation of what the good news is, a truthful presentation of how to live in line with God. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So you see the opposite of what God was teaching. But listen to this. This is us. This is the tool we use. We reach for this instrument. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This idea of speaking the truth in love, living into truth, and it's talking about not just what we say, but the way we live among people. You have the idea of here's what's true, but it's always presented lovingly. So one is not offered at the expense of the other. Truth and 
love. The instruction is be truthful, use the right tool, and let God take care of the results. Address a broken issue in a way that God can get excited about. You can do the right thing the wrong way and mess up the whole effort. We're to use the tools that God's given us to use as we're saying yes. Truth is one instrument he gives us. There are so many. Another one and the final one I want to mention today is one I say I don't understand at all. I practice it. I do not get it. It's been both an encouraging tool and a discouraging tool in my life. Quite often a discouraging one, a perplexing one. Not truth, but the second tool, prayer. I understand that prayer is offered to me as a response to what I see. When I say yes to God, prayer is one of the tools he wants me to carry into that yes. But I do not understand how it works. I do not understand the mechanics of it. I do not understand how God seems to hear some prayers. and I hear, He hears them all, actually, Scripture promises. But I don't understand why God does what he does do and doesn't do what he doesn't do when I pray. Anybody got that one figured out yet? Anybody else? Anybody besides me? Fine. There are moments when prayer is incredibly rich, and there are moments when prayer is incredibly disturbing. Like, what are we doing here? Fooling ourselves? Really? Yet, God offers it to us as a tool that he wants us to use. Look at James 5. Is anyone among you, beginning at verse 13, in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Another form of prayer. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders, the leaders of the church, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they sin, the sin will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One of the instruments, even though we do not understand the mechanics of it, that God gives us in responding to his call to us, moving forward in our yes to God, is prayer. And I don't know what's going on there. I know some of what's not going on there. We can't comprehend the notion, nor should we, that God is trapped by our prayers. So here's what's not going on. There's not this deal where God says, oh man, they prayed with the right language and they asked for this and they had faith that it would happen. And then they said in Jesus name, now I'm stuck. Now I have to do it. That's not what's going on. God is sovereign. We aren't sovereign. Nor is this going on in my mind anyway, in my logical mind. I, I can't conceive of the idea that God would be in a position where in his heart he wants to accomplish something, but he's stuck until we pray. Oh boy, I really do want to heal that person, but I needed... Let's see, I needed 27 Christians to ask for healing, and I only got 26. Bummer. He's not stuck until we pray. But man, when it comes to prayer, I don't have a whole lot of answers. I do not understand the mechanics. That is, the connection between 
my praying and God's activity. I do understand that there is one. I just don't understand how it works. And I, I can't explain that and still be theologically sound in other things. But I know this for sure. God has given us the tool of prayer. And prayer is a healthy biblical tool that we use, that we involve ourselves in. Something happens when we pray. I know lots of things that happen in us when we pray. And I believe that God has chosen to connect prayer with his activity. Scripture teaches that. It's about as far as I can go, though. But I know this, that's a good tool. That tool fits his hand. Prayer. And when do we pray? Well, according to James 5, first part of 13, pray when you're in trouble or experience calamity. We all know about that because most of us pray when we're in trouble and experience calamity. Even folks who don't believe in God pray when they experience trouble. Even the newscasters, when they hear about some tragedy, they have sort of, uh, offer you these pseudo prayers, like they'll say, our, our thoughts are with those people in that, they really mean our thought. They just don't want to say end prayers. And then some are more bold to say our thoughts and our prayers. Everybody knows to pray when you're in calamity. But the scripture teaches it. I mean, those are those prayers that kind of sound like this. Hey! Help! Best syllable ever when you want to pray sometimes. Help! When do we pray? We pray when we're calamity. And we also pray when we're happy. We sing praises. You rock! A couple of weeks ago, you know, a few years ago, our, our church invested a, a chunk of the money that we raised for doing our building. We invested it. One of the places we invested it was in a ministry in Thailand that serves a community of HIV, AIDS, uh, infected and affected people. It was a, it was a good, uh, generous chunk of money to start this ministry of infrastructure there. Then, because that went so well, some of the members of our church uh, got excited and they actually matched that money and funded phase two of that ministry. Very exciting, really close to our hearts, saw the results of it, all kinds of Thai people who are mostly Muslim becoming Christians, being baptized because of this infrastructure and this ministry, and they all have HIV AIDS or are affected by it. The other day, I found out I, I, that we, we actually were able to fund a third phase in that ministry that's totally going to launch it and move it into, Cam, uh, into Laos. Laos or Cambodia, I've forgotten which. It's just going to go crazy now. And I was so excited about that news. I was driving over to Pastor Jeff's house and I'm worshiping in my car I'm all by myself. And I was so happy, man, I just wanted to sing. And I started singing stuff, but I cried. I was crying. And so, you know, singing doesn't sound very good for some of us, even when we're not crying. But anybody, when you're crying, singing doesn't sound real great. And mine didn't sound real great that day, but I was happy. And so I just began to sing things like, you were really special and you used me a little bit. And I'm not happy about that. You are amazing. And I'm driving down the street and the people are thinking, People next to me are thinking, please tell me there's an earbud in that guy's ear because <laughs> when do we pray? You know what? When things go well and we're excited and we can't really even express ourselves, but he has been good, that's a good time for prayer too. Hey, there's no calamity prayer coming here. This is a flat out thank you and you rock, God. 
That's what the scripture teaches us. When else do we pray? You pray when we're sick. This is probably in context a reference to some sickness that's the direct result of a bad decision. Sickness that's the result of sin. That's probably how this text makes sense. It says, come and confess your sin and you're going to be healed of the sickness. But other examples of praying for someone who's not doing that well, regardless of their choices, abound in Scripture. Prayer is a tool God gives us. He says, come. We say yes. And these are the tools that we use in responding to him in finding our yes. Among other tools, we use truth and truthfulness. We live into the truth. And we use prayer. Why do we use the tool of prayer even though we don't understand it? Because, and this is offered in such general terms, it's almost as though God knows we can't possibly understand all the details and mechanics of prayer. The very end of that verse, 16 in James 5, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and that's it. Well, how is it powerful and effective? In what ways is it powerful and effective? It's powerful and effective, and I call you to it. P.T. Forsyth, the great theologian, said, prayer is not mere wishing. It's more than wishing. It's more than my thoughts are with you. It is asking with a will. It is energy, he says. When we pray, we turn to an active giver. We don't turn into one, we turn to one. Hey, active giver, hear this. Therefore, we go into action when we pray. Look, we don't know exactly how prayer works or exactly how we're involved with God when we practice it, but we know that it's a tool he endorses. And you can do the right thing and use the wrong tools in doing it and blow the whole thing apart. Use the right tools. Well, eventually, we took David's car to our mechanic. My dad's a pretty good, he's a pretty good shade tree mechanic. He was like a MacGyver. He give him a, a pair of vice grips and a hammer, and he could almost fix anything. But not that day. We took the car to the mechanic and dropped it off for him to fix. And later I went back and I asked him how it had gone. He said, I don't know who was working on this, but somebody messed it up so much by using sledgehammers and vice grips on it that I had to take my torch out, cut the whole piece out, and start from scratch. My dad was doing the right thing and responding to a real need and actually trying to save me money in the process. But he used the wrong tools. And using the wrong tools to do the right thing can blow the whole deal. This year, as we launch into a new year and continue in the year of yes, yes and amen to the promises of God and our responses, our encouragement is this. Do the right thing, but do it the right way. Use the right tools. Tools with handles that fit the hand of God. Let me finish by reading yet one more short text 
that reminds us of this. 2 Corinthians 10. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world, by the means of this world. For though we live in this world, and he would imply, and though we love it dearly, we love the people, we do not wage war as this world does. So he's using this idea of war as a picture, an illustration. We we don't approach this task of life the way this world does. The weapons or the tools we fight with are not weapons of the world, not manipulation, not trickery, not cunning, not cheating, not lying. The weapons that we use are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, our tools have divine power to demolish strongholds. Among others, those tools are truth and prayer. Tools God can do something with. Tools God can endorse. Tools God can use. Do the right thing the right way. Would you stand now? Be dismissed with this blessing. And now, Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us beyond the best of intentions and even the most biblical of intentions into the details that are the details of yes. Give us the gift of insight and courage to go with it. Build in us not just a respect for truth, but a love for it and a commitment to it. Truth in love. And Lord, even when all we can do is ask you to find the smallest mustard seed of faith in us, to go with the prayer we offer because, frankly, we're not aware of any faith. We've been so disappointed for so many years with the prayers we've offered, praying for someone's healing one day and attending their funeral the next. Even when that's where we are, keep us committed to seeking you, to turning to an active giver. Truth and prayer. Remind us, Lord, to use those things as we say yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.